0: Now, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis one to three again. We have been doing just a four short four week. This is the last day. Uh, we're either getting back into Philippians next week, or I'm going to preach on heaven. I don't know. I you know I've got a lot of mixed emotions. We'll figure it out, but I'll be here preaching next week, so we'll have a good time no matter what. But we've done this four, short four week series on looking at what does the Bible say, the biblical perspective on these issues of of life. We've talked about self, what God thinks of us. We've talked about family relationships and primarily marriage. We've looked at the other relationships, kind of extended family and kids. This week, I want to talk about the biblical perspective of sex. Now, two things that I want to couch this with. Well, three things. One is we will do our best to keep it PG, alright? Because I know we got some young people in here and they need to hear this too. Number two is that um I want to, I, I'm, I'm going to share some things that are definitely going to be countercultural, all right? Because I think, and this would be the third thing, that our culture is doing a huge disservice. And in promoting what I believe to be, to be lies. And so today, maybe what I'm going to say is going to come across a, a, and hit you in a way that, that maybe you're not going to be comfortable with. But I want you to understand the heart out of which is why I'm preaching this weekend, honestly. Because this thing is such a huge piece and it is hurting so many people. And I know our culture basically says if you disagree with people, then you're, you're hateful. And and you're unkind. And I want to tell you that to me, to agree with someone when they're wrong is unkind and it is unloving. And so as best today, in the spirit of love, I, I want to present truth as best I understand because I do believe that God's way is best. And I've seen that in my life. And I believe you would see it too. And so to do that, the first thing I want to do is I kind of want to build a little bit of a theological structure so you understand where I'm coming from. I've got a lot to say. I have very little time to say it. So I'm going to talk quick, you need to listen quick, all right? So we'll just make that agreement today and we'll get you out of here on time. The first thing I need you to understand is that God has a design for your sexuality. In fact, here's the big thing, God designed sex, he likes it, he is like, he, he is positive. When I was growing up, the story on the street was God didn't like sex. In fact, you know that story in Genesis about Adam and Eve and the fruit and the tree, that was was just a cover story, because what really had happened is that Adam and Eve were behind the tree, found really weird things to do with their body. God didn't like it, but he couldn't talk about it, so he made up that little story. And then I come and I read here in Genesis 1.8, or one twenty eight, God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And I begin to understand that, well, wait a minute, you know, there's kind of, you know, before... You know, the day and age in which we live with Petri dishes. Before that, the only way you could be fruitful and multiply was sex. And begin to understand that God designed it. He had a plan. In fact, you look here in verse 27, it says he made them male and female. And that does not mean he made them with short hair and long hair. It means that he made them with their distinct sexuality. God has a design. And there's three primary things that God designed In this area, number one, it was for oneness. We've been looking at chapter 2, verse 24 quite a bit. So if you turn over there, for this reason, a man shall leave his father's mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is this sense of oneness. And we will talk about in a moment that God is a, is a Trinitarian God, is three, he exists as one. And in marriage now there's little sub-trinity with God, a husband and a wife. And they too become one in that physical act of sexual intimacy. But it's more than that. And, and I don't even really know how to explain it. I would just say it's that mystical aspect of our soul oneness that happens in the beauty so that for a husband and wife, it's not just about coming together as one body, but one soul, one spirit, that working together. And that's the thing that our culture wants to deny today, that there is no soul aspect to sexual intimacy. They want to make it just a physical act, just an act of of excitement and release, but it's more than that. And that's why it's so damaging to to people's hearts because you give away parts of yourself in that nakedness and that intimacy of that moment to people who are not connected to you in love. So God made it for oneness. The second thing he made it for was for pleasure. Folk, you cannot understand how the male and female body had been made and where God put nerve endings without understanding God wanted it to be pleasurable. That was his design. In fact, you look at what we're told. In Proverbs, Solomon says, As a loving hind it is a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always in her love. It is to be pleasurable. In the Song of Solomon, to the woman, he says, His mouth is full of sweetness and he is wholly desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. God designed it in the context of that marriage to be pleasurable pleasurable, that I can pleasure my wife. My wife can bring pleasure to me, that we can enjoy that intimacy in a way that is is not just perfunctory, but it is enjoyable, it's pleasurable, and a pleasure I get to share with her and she with me that we do with nobody else. The third piece of it is this, that God designed sex to make babies. That's verse 28 here in chapter 1. God said, bless them and say, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And in the context of the oneness of the marriage relationship was where children were be produced. In fact, when you think about how we were made in the image of God, God is the creator. Now a husband and wife come together in that physical act of oneness, that spiritual act of oneness, and now they produce a new life. Oh, by the way, after their kind in their own likeness, you know, the apple and the tree piece, right? That's God's design. And to fully understand it, you've got to understand the character and the nature of God. That our God is a God of covenants. And by covenants, He makes promises, right? And often when He makes a promise, and He makes a big promise, He gives a sign of the covenant. For instance, um, you know what? Twice a year, it rains here in Phoenix, right? But what happens if you're on social media is that after the rain, those twice a year, you will see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pictures of the rainbow. Because we don't see them very often. Well, what's the rainbow? The rainbow is the sign of the covenant. What covenant? The Noah Covenant. God had destroyed the earth with 40 days of rain, and now to Noah out on the other side, he made a promise, I will never again destroy the earth. Now, what's interesting, the rainbow doesn't show up without rain, right? Rain, destroy the earth. No, no, no. Here's my promise. I will never again destroy the earth with flood. It's the sign of the promise. And then he picks Abraham. And to Abraham, he promises that, that uh, he's going to give them this land. He's going to give them a, a generation. Of course, remember, Abraham had no children. And then that through him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he gave them a sign of the covenant. What was the sign? It was circumcision. It was that they had been set apart to God. And there's also that picture that if you walk out from under the covenant, you will be cut off and discarded and thrown away. And so in that physical act that Jewish men would remember, always they had been set apart to God. They belonged to him. You and I today participated in the sign of the covenant. Communion. Well, what covenant? The new covenant. Jeremiah 31, that God would would now write his law upon our heart and our sins, he would remember no more. And as Jesus sits there in the upper room, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, drink this in remembrance of me. It's the sign of the covenant. Well, here's the thing. Marriage is a covenant relationship. It's based on the covenant that God exists within himself. That is three, they are one. This eternal relationship. And so now in marriage, a man and a woman come together. They make a covenant relationship. To have and to hold, to to cleave, for better, for worse, till death do us part. And now the sign of that covenant is that act of sexual intimacy, the coming together not just physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. It is the sign of the covenant that God gave to marriage. That was its design. It reflects the very character of God, and it reminds us of the oneness. Now, with that as a backdrop, I want to walk you through a boatload of takeaways here. The first is this. There we go. Sexual intimacy, by God's design, is exclusively for a man and a woman who have covenanted their lives together in marriage. They've gone through that step. You know, every once in a while i run into a couple that are living together and they'll say, well, Steve, we've made these promises together. You know, we, we've said them to each other. Does a piece of paper really make that much difference? And I say, yes, in our culture, because our culture, marriage is not just religious, it's not just communal, it is also a legal piece that yes, the piece of paper makes that much difference because we have made this marriage covenant together And that's what God says is the covenant relationship. And so sexual relations, sexual intimacy is the sign of that covenant. And I don't care what you've promised to each other. In our culture, it is that legal peace. And it is exclusively for that. So let me give you a couple sub-takes on that. The first one is a little different. Probably where you think I'm going. But the first one is this. If you are married sexual intimacy needs to be an important part of your relationship. Now I can see some of you are saying, Steve, you need to say that one again and say it a little louder. So let me do that. If you are married, then sexual intimacy needs to be an important part of your relationship. Why? Because it is the sign of the covenant. God designed this that we have become one. In fact, I would go so far to say if you are married and you are physically able to have sexual intimacy and you are not, it is sin. It's wrong. You are in a covenant relationship and God has given you the sign of the covenant that you have made to your spouse. the truth of the matter is this that if you find a married couple that physically can but are not engaged in much sexual intimacy i always say sex is really more the barometer than the problem and what it means is husband you're not being a godly husband someplace you're not loving her well you're not leading well i don't know so you got a problem and wife you're, you're not following well, you're not submitting well, you're not serving well, something's going on. Because if I am being the godly, if I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church, and she is loving me and serving me, and, and we see, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that I see her needs as more important than my own, and she sees mine, then sexual intimacy is going to happen. Because there is that oneness of our heart, that oneness of our spirit, and we are going to express that oneness physically. It's important. Now, let me go the other way. So, because it is the sign of the covenant, sexual intimacy outside of marriage is always, 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 every single time. It is sinful and it is also destructive. It creates pain, it creates chaos, it it, it never ends well. And the Bible talks about this all through the Scripture. For instance, sex before marriage, if you've got the old King James, the word was fornication. How's that for a fun word? It's often now translated immorality. But in Ephesians 5.3, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as proper Outside of the covenant relationship, you should never be doing and participating in the sign of the covenant. And the reality is, there's some of you that are here today, and you're living together, and you're sleeping together, and you're not married. And the Bible says that's sin. Sin. The Bible talks about adultery. Adultery is you're in a covenant relationship with someone and then you step out of that relationship and you engage in sexual intimacy with somebody else it's called adultery you know it's funny i was thinking about this you know we like to kind of measure sins right These, this one's a big one this one's ah, this one's not quite so bad it's still sin but it's not so bad i don't think god does that but for most of us who are heterosexual You know, for us, the really bad sin is homosexuality, right? Can I remind you that there's only one of these that actually made God's top ten list, and it was adultery. It's not homosexuality. It's adultery. Why? Well, because you have entered into the covenant relationship that is to reflect your God who is three exists as one in this perfect unity this complete commitment and now you have done that you are in a covenant relationship and now you break that covenant by going someplace up it's a big deal it's sin then there is homosexuality which is sex of with a person of the same sex 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, there's that word, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, there's that word, nor effeminate, that's an interesting word. Kind of wonder what Paul has in mind there of just kind of the cross-dressing, maybe even the transgender piece, We, you know, under a different term that we see today. Nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because again, marriage is between a man and a woman. It's always been that way. I can love my friend who is a guy. And we can be close. But this isn't about love. This this is about marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And we enter into the covenant relationship that way. I can't do with him. Can't do with others. It's only with that. Then you think of prostitution, that's making a covenant with somebody for money. who have sexual intimacy. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that, A, you're one with Christ, and now you who are one with Christ, can you go join yourself to a prostitute? And his whole point is, may it never be. And then, yeah, I mean, you could add in rape and, you know, sexual abuse and all of this kind of stuff. Man, it's just, all, it's all sin. But here's the one I want to focus on, because this is the huge piece, even in the church. I mean, I shared with you some statistics that have come out that even within the church, that 60% of the men struggle, and by struggle, it's not that they're struggling and walking in victory, but they're struggling and they're falling with pornography. 40% of the women. And here's the thing that is so destructive about pornography. I mean, when I was a little kid, I never saw pornography. I I don't even know where you would. It was just so hard to find. I don't even know how you would truly stumble upon it. Today, it's everywhere. You kind of wonder if any 12-year-old kid has not seen it because it is just so prevalent. But here's the thing about pornography. It just robs your soul because it is is so simple, it is so easy, and yet it is so desensitizing. As a man, I don't need to love my wife, I don't need to care for her, I don't need to to serve her. Why? Because I don't need her. I could just go flip on the computer or turn on the TV, and that woman is going to do exactly what I want to get me aroused, so that I can get the release that I want. It's simple, it's easy. But all that energy that God wanted me to use to pursue my wife and to love, Her, I've wasted it. And women, you know, this whole 40%, you know, because here's the thing that guy and that thing, by the way, it's all a lie. But the fact that he always knows the right thing to say, the right place to touch, the right thing to do, there's no guy other than Jesus that knows that. And when you try to, you're setting your husband who would never be able to do that. And we're destroying our marriages we're destroying our souls and the problem is with this whole porn piece in fact we kind of tie into this is the whole idea of boundaries see the problem is is that we just need more and we need more and we just need a little more stimulus because we're desensitizing ourselves what they tell us is that what porn was back when i would have been a kid compared to what it is today is completely different, you know why? Because what was forty years ago doesn't satisfy, doesn't doesn't arouse anybody anymore, and so now it's it's getting more deviant, it's getting more violent. Why? Because you know what? Boundaries are important, folk. I mean, you all know my story. Last year, I I like food. I like a good buffet. In fact, I I tell you where a couple of them are. Right. Last year, because of that, I ended up having to lose 50 pounds. And I will tell you, I I love a good buffet, but you know, if you go to a buffet every day, every day, every day, pretty soon they'd be kind of blah. But beyond the blah, you know what happens? You get fat, obese. That's where my reading was, right? Your blood pressure goes up, your cholesterol goes up. I mean, it's just there's all this unhealth. And you're just sitting there at the buffet, not really even enjoying it anymore. It's just there to do. Boundaries actually bring an enhanced life and pleasure. Same thing with with ease and rest. You know, we were made to work. And man, you go on a vacation, it's great. You start not working and just playing all the... Eventually golf. yeah. It just and God has put boundaries and the boundaries because he loves us is that the sexual intimacy is reserved for the, for the covenant relationship of marriage and that's what brings health and pleasure now, i want to go here and i want to do this very carefully because again i think our our i think our culture is really messing people up in this whole idea of our maleness and our femaleness. You know, God said He made us that way. That it's actually stamped into who we are. In fact, we even know it's into our chromosomes. And yet today, it's well. If you feel differently, you can act differently. And if you are a male but you feel like a female, well, then then go. Let that be your true identity. But the problem is, we're making our our feelings, which change, which morph. I mean, I, I mean, do you remember what it's like to be a junior higher? Right? You know, those feelings of they not change every day. They change about every ten minutes. And and we go with this. And I just. Again, I want to say this with all the compassion I I can, but God made you. Now, now, honestly, your mix as a male or a female of masculinity and femininity may be different than most people. But that's okay because our God is the God who created the rainbow with every color. I mean, there's a spectrum there. But if you will learn to live in the identity that he gave you of your male, the fact of male and female with, with your mix and that God can... See, God don't make no junk. And God knows and loves you. But if you start trying to change what he has stamped on it's you, why, it's why, quite honestly, those who in this have gone to even the surgeries to change and the hormone treatment sadly I mean it just it breaks my heart but the suicide rate is astronomical for people who go that deep into this why I would argue because God has actually made you as a male and a female and that's who you are and when you start stepping out of that alignment you're never going to find the things that is satisfying and that kind of ties into this that attraction is not sin. But saying no is healthy. You know, today we in fact somebody just tell me, you know, in, over in the high schools now, it's like everybody is bisexual, you know, because you know they, they have a really good friend of the same sex, they have really good friends, and you know, and 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 we've just we have so confused this. And the reality is, folks, is that We can have attraction. And the only way that I know how to do this is just to put it in my context. I mean, I'm clearly heterosexual. I've been been married to my wife for almost 30 years. But that doesn't mean that I can't see a woman and, and sometimes go, wow, she's attractive. And that is not sin. Just like for a person who would see someone of the same sex and go, wow, they're, they're a really neat person. And man, they, they look good to me and that's not sin. I mean, James puts it like this, but each is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. But when lust has conceived, then it brings forth sin. So attraction doesn't make you who it, you are. I'm not a serial adulterer. Why? Because i have no attraction no there's attraction but what do you do with the attraction do you stay and do you look do you let your mind go there and begin to lust in after your heart or do you run attraction is not sin and it's good to say no i am in a covenantal relationship with my wife and so when attraction hits, I have to respond to it well. I have to turn away. I have to, I have to realize, no, that is not proper. I need to give my full attention to my wife. And that's what God calls us to do. And just because you have attraction to somebody who may be of the same sex, again, that's not sin, but it also it's not who you are. It's not what God has said is right and good. And I want to suggest to you that our culture is hurting people. You say, well, Steve, intentionally? And I want to say, yes, intentionally. And I say that with all confidence. You say, well, how, how can you say that? Why? Well, because who sets culture? The culture is set by the God of this age. His name's Satan. And in our culture, he's doing this. And In other cultures, he's doing other things. But this is a big piece. He's attacked this one from the beginning. In fact, when you even get back to the garden, the whole idea of sin comes, what happens? It's the guilt and shame of their nakedness, of their sexuality. And so they begin to to cover up. You get to chapter 4, now you have polygamy that's entered in. You get to chapter 19 and you got homosexuality and you got rape. You go a couple chapters later, you got incest. Because this is so tied that we were made in the image of God as a male and a female directed for this. And he knows that this will cause more problems. In fact, the truth is is that sin causes greater internal brokenness than other sin. We talk, you know, there's not necessarily big sins and little sins, but this sin ties to the heart of our identity. That's why pornography causes such great brokenness. Infidelity and adultery in marriage giving yourself to someone who is not, you're not married to. And that's why when that's over, there's a piece of you that is gone and you understand that and that brokenness that is there. It's because it's tied to who we are. So let me finish with this. Oh yeah, Paul said, flee immorality. Everyone who commits a sin is outside his body, but the immoral man, Man, sins in this area, sins against his own body. But here's what I want to end with. There's help. There's hope. Now, folk, I know that today, right now, I'm talking to some of you who are actually living with someone and sleeping with someone and you're not married. I know that I'm talking to some of you who are failing at pornography. I, I, I get that. Here's the thing. There is hope. Now the reality is, is none of us can fix yesterday. As much as I would maybe want to go back and change yesterday, I can't. That's where we stand in what Jesus did. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from how many sin? All sin. And so I confess it, I repent of it. But today I choose to do what's right. Today I choose to, you know what, I'm living with someone. I can't sleep with you anymore. We've either got to get married or we've got to move apart. We've got to do because it is a sign of the covenant. Maybe some of you have not been been invested in your spouse you've not been sexually active with them and god has told you you got to go make that relationship right you got to go apologize you got to go figure out what is keeping us from this covenant relationship of oneness no you can't take back the porn that you looked at yesterday but you can confess it you can repent of it and today you can seek god's help And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think we were talking about David and Bathsheba. In my experience, nobody that I know anyway has been able to ever get a handle on that pornography piece without either God exposing it or for them personally exposing it to a friend to bring people in. To guilt the guilt and the shame out. And to let people come in and help. And so as people who like to help, let me finish with this. Uh, I think i got this. I've got, out in the foyer today, I've got about 100 of these books. This is the best book I've ever written. I, I didn't write it. I've ever read. <laughs> All right. So when you preach on sex, if that's the worst blunder I make, I'll, I'll live with that. It's the best book I've read of how do you walk in freedom. This is really for believers. Here's the thing. Most all of you know somebody who, as a Christian, is struggling in this area. They're struggling with pornography. They're in a relationship they shouldn't be in. Something's going on. There's a brokenness that goes to the past. The books are free if you will promise to do three things. One is that you will promise to read it. To me, it's disingenuous to give a book to somebody that you haven't read. You will find stuff in this book that will help you speak into their life truth and love. Secondly, that you will then give it to them. And that you'll say, listen, I know we've talked, I know you're struggling with this, I know that this is something that you're, you know, you, we've talked about, you haven't seen my perspective, I think this will help you. I would like for you to read the book. The third piece is that if you're going to take the book is that you will promise that in the back there are these six steps to freedom. I've walked through them, I've walked men through these dozens of times. That what you will say to them as you hand them the book is, hey, this book makes sense, I will be willing to go through that process with you it takes about three to five hours where you sit aside and you talk and you process through it but you tell them I'm willing I will be that friend to you I will walk through this with you but if you will do those things that then listen the books free I want you to grab it I don't want any books left You know, this is such an area of secretivity and we don't want anybody thinking bad of us. It's funny, I've offered this book before and offered other books. The other books get taken, this one doesn't because guilt and shame. You've got somebody, so that person's probably not going to pick it up, but you're their friend. You pick it up. You read it, you give it to them, you offer to walk it through them.